Hello and how are you? This is Alice coming to you from Total Health Academy. I have not done anything for the last two weeks, but today I feel led to talk about irritable bowel syndrome. So the, the, uh, the short name for irritable bowel syndrome is IBS. So sometimes through this lesson, you will hear me talk about irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. So what is this? It's a disorder. So what is this disorder? Well, this disorder kind of affects the stomach and the small intestine, which is also called the gastrointestinal tract. Only a small number of people with IBS have severe symptoms. Some people can control their symptoms uh, by managing their diet, their lifestyle, and their stress level. However, this uh, disorder is not really caused by diet and is not caused by stress. Um, some people, a small number of people, have severe symptoms where they actually need medication and also counseling. And somebody may ask, wow, counseling about what? Okay, as we continue to talk, I will explain that. So... Irritable bowel syndrome is actually a functional disease. So what do I mean by that? Uh, a functional disorder is not really a disease. I need to keep stop calling it a disease because it's a fun, uh, irritable bowel syndrome. It is a disorder. So, okay. So I hope I remember to always say that. So it is a functional disorder. And a functional disorder is an umbrella term that uh, kind of recognizes that there is a medical issue going on, but the symptoms are many, and that's why they call it a syndrome. So a syndrome is a group of symptoms that relate to, um, to cause a complex, <laughs> challenging medical issue. And that is irritable bowel syndrome in a nutshell. So it poses a, a lot of challenges to the medical uh, community because really when they do the tests, they can't see anything wrong. But the function, the bowel, the digestive system is not functioning properly. So because of this, most people will go through uh, many medical investigations before the diagnosis is made. There is no damage, um, and that's why it's so challenging to the doctors. Because when they do the test, they don't see anything wrong. There is no damage to the system. It's just the function is off. And that's why it's called a functional disorder. So despite uh, being associated with high disability, because most people will miss work because of this disorder, Functional disorder is not life-threatening. Uh, most functional disorders, they, they wouldn't, like, they wouldn't, they are not life-threatening. That means they may not lead to death, but they will make your life miserable. And that is irritable bowel syndrome in a nutshell. So the, the symptoms are persistent and they are troublesome. And they are also impaired with uh, 
you know, they are also associated with impaired function, which is what causes disability. Because when something is not working right, most of the time you're not going to feel well. So other disorders of this nature are cyclic vomiting syndrome, uh, persistent fatigue syndrome. These are all related. They actually all come from the same place. They are like children of the same mother. Um, so persistent fatigue syndrome is also known as chronic fatigue syndrome. Chronic pain syndromes like fibromyalgia, uh, chronic pelvic pain syndrome, interstitial cystitis. This is where your bladder is inflamed, you know, but really there is no bacterial infection going on but the bladder is inflamed and it causes symptoms that kind of look and feel like urinary tract infection. But when you test the people, there is no actual bacteria causing the problem. That's why I'm having a, a trouble even pronouncing it. Interstitial cystitis. That is the name of it. And, and it causes miserable symptoms. So there is also functional neurological disorders, uh, multiple chemical sensitivity. These are all children of the same mother. With um, these disorders, there is usually a personalized approach to the treatment because many factors may be causing the problem and all the symptoms are not the same for everybody who suffers from the condition. So in a nutshell, uh, a functional disorder um, requires investigation of biomedical uh, issues, psychological issues, social issues, and then material environment. On the on on exam, when we do uh, diagnostic testing, usually everything looks fine. So, like I said, only. The function is not there. So what are the symptoms of this uh, disorder? Usually, it's abdominal pain, cramping pain, brooding, passing, uh, passing a lot of gas or feeling gassy. And usually, the pain is relieved with a bowel movement. Uh, changes in appearance of the bowel movement. Changes in how often you have a bowel movement. Other symptoms include sensation of incomplete evacuation. You go to the bathroom and you feel like you're not really completely emptying your bowels. So you still feel like you have to go, but when you try to go, nothing comes out. Um, increased gas, increased mucus in the stool. So those are some of the symptoms now. Most of these symptoms, they affect young people. We're going to talk about that briefly when we talk about risk factors. But if, you, if somebody sees these symptoms or if you have these symptoms, say your life has been fine, but you start experiencing these symptoms after the age of 50, then we are looking at a more serious uh, complication. And this is why... This needs um, investigation, so this is not something somebody should pass off as, you know, uh, yeah, I'm going to manage it with diet or whatever and uh, not get a doctor to look at it. Because after the age of 50, 
there could be something more serious going on. So after the age of 50, if uh, somebody starts having the abdominal cramping, abdominal pain, weight loss, rectal bleeding, fever, nausea, recurrent vomiting, belly pain at night, you know, pain that wakes you up out of sleep, that's a very, very serious problem. Uh, belly pain that is not related to a bowel movement. So you don't need to use the bathroom, but you're having belly pain. Uh, diarrhea that is ongoing. Diarrhea that wakes you up at night. We are talking about serious problems here. So there is a need to have a doctor investigate it. Or if you go to the doctor and they start finding that your blood is low, you have anemia, then we are looking at something more serious because you could be internally bleeding and this needs to be investigated. So when do you see a doctor? If you have any of these same symptoms, just go to the doctor. Let them investigate and, and clear you and um, check you out because you could have colon cancer. You could have... Um, what do you call it? Uh, inflammatory bowel disease, like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. It could also be colorectal cancer. So it's good to have it investigated. However, if there is no disease, if the doctor checks you out, they do all the tests that they need to, to do and they don't see any problem, then at that point we can suspect that you have um, irritable bowel syndrome. That's why I say that it poses a challenge to the doctors because um, there is no definitive test for this disorder. We have to do ruling out, you know. You have to go through all these tests to rule out other issues. So triggers for irritable bowel syndrome, sometimes it looks like the food causes it, but believe it or not, believe me when I tell you, Food does not cause it, but sometimes the food can trigger the symptoms. So what kind of foods do this? Sometimes it might look like an allergic reaction or food intolerance, but and, and usually researchers do not understand why some foods cause uh, triggers. That is not very well understood, but uh, foods like milk, uh, gluten, uh, some grains, you know, including wheat, some of these things can um, cause, they can trigger the symptoms. Uh, other things are citrus fruits, you know, like oranges, lemons. Uh, some other foods could be beans, cabbage, or carbonated drinks. And it looks like every time you, you eat that, that's when you have the belly pain. So it looks like it's the food that's causing it, but no, it's not. It's your inability to digest the food. So something else is going on. So food is just a trigger. Another trigger that uh, the scientists have found out is stress. So most people will experience uh, worse symptoms during stressful periods. So they have worse symptoms, more severe pain, diarrhea, um, increased symptoms when they are going through a stressful time. So stress usually makes everything worse, but stress does not cause this disorder. So risk factors for irritable bowel syndrome, what are they? Um, age, 
has been known to be a risk factor. And I don't think age per se is a risk factor, but you tend to see the symptoms with younger people. So before the age of 50, normally they start in their teen years, but we, we also know many children with this disorder. Uh, women are more affected than men. Uh, the textbook was saying that it's related to estrogen, but I'm not sure about that. Like estrogen therapy before the age of menopause is a risk factor for irritable bowel syndrome. Well, obviously, if somebody is having estrogen therapy before they become menopausal, that is like 51, 52 years old, something else is wrong. Um, so I don't know that, you know, estrogen is really that connected or is the cause of estrogen deficiency that is connected to irritable bowel syndrome. But, you know, the textbook says that estrogen is connected. <laughs> so more women, that's for sure, more women than men suffer from this problem. Another risk factor is family history. And this one is true. If you have a family member with this condition, there is a genetic component to this condition, and so that that one is true. However, I think, and this is my opinion, but I know it to be true, this disorder is really not genetic, it is epigenetic. Uh, I will expound on that later. Um, they also say that, uh, you know, people, family members, let's say, they share genes, but they also share environmental places. Like say you live in the same house, so maybe you're eating the same food. But for me, I look at internal environment more than external environment. I believe that internal environment is what determines what's really going on with someone. But that is something I discuss one-on-one because -on -one, I wouldn't know uh, what's going on in your life until I speak with you. But yeah, I look at uh, internal environments versus external, what's going on on the outside. So another risk factor that is listed in the textbook is um, early stress in life. Say if you grew up and maybe you had uh, a stressful childhood, uh, you were sexually abused, physically abused, or emotionally abused. So that's a risk factor because it tends to cause anxiety and depression and other mental health issues. And now you understand why. If you're having severe symptoms, you could, some people could use counseling because of that. Complications of IBS. IBS has a few complications, which is chronic constipation or chronic stress. And this can also go on to lead to hemorrhoids. Uh, also, another complication is poor quality of life. Most people who have this miss at least three times more days from work because of sickness than people who don't have irritable bowel syndrome. Also, mood disorders. Because of experiencing the symptoms and you never know when you might have an attack, when the next attack might come. So some people have anxiety, other people are depressed because this is a chronic situation. But hopefully uh, we can get to the bottom of this problem and this will never be an issue again. So, but the textbook also says that depression and anxiety can lead to worse symptoms. It's like going 
around in a circle, right? But I think they are, they are both related. They they are all children of the same mother. <laughs> they are all coming from the same place. Uh, diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome. Like I said before, there is no definitive test for this. Uh, your healthcare provider will probably do multiple, multiple testing. And they can start with a complete medical history, a family history, a physical exam, and then blood test. To, this is to rule out other medical issues like celiac disease, which can, you know, it, it can cause similar symptoms. And celiac disease is when you can digest gluten. So it causes almost the same kind of uh, symptoms. Uh, people who are gluten intolerant also have similar symptoms. People who are lactose intolerant also have similar symptoms. Some people with irritable inflammatory bowel disease, like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, the, the symptoms, I think they do have um, inflammatory bowel disease and also irritable bowel disease. I think for most people, the two kind of goes together because sometimes they will have food might trigger something. And then they have, you know, they they already have the disease, but they are also having all these other symptoms that mimic irritable bowel syndrome. I do think the inflammatory bowel disease and the irritable bowel syndrome are all children of the same mother. Obviously, inflammatory bowel disease is more serious than irritable bowel syndrome. So yeah, it's more serious because uh, at that point, something is very wrong. Uh, there is disease. But with irritable bowel syndrome, normally there is no disease. There is just impaired function. Okay? So moving right along, once the doctor does all these tests and lose out other disorders, then they can suspect irritable bowel syndrome. And at that point, the doctor might use the room criteria. I'm not sure why it was called the room criteria. Maybe it was developed in Rome. And this criteria kind of looks at uh, the frequency of the symptoms and the types of symptoms in order to determine what type of irritable bowel syndrome one has. There are actually four types of irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah, if this disease is very complicated. Um, oh, this disorder is very complicated. I need to quit calling it a disease because really it's not a disease, it's a disorder. Um, so it is complicated. And there are four types of irritable bowel syndrome. So based on the symptoms that are more prominent, you might have con constipation prominent irritable bowel syndrome. That means most of the time you don't suffer from diarrhea, but you suffer from many bouts of constipation. It could also be diarrhea predominant irritable bowel syndrome. So you have more diarrhea than constipation. It could also be mixed. So the first one is constipation predominant. The second one is diarrhea predominant. The third one is mixed irritable bowel syndrome. This is where one person may alternate between constipation and diarrhea. Say this week, you're constipated. Next week, you're having diarrhea like throughout the week. And then it goes like that in cycles. The fourth one is unclassified. 
So because the symptoms are all over the place and they really cannot nail it down. Now, the reason why they need to, uh, to group it into the type is so when you group it into a type, then that will direct the kind of treatment that you will get. Now, your doctor might do additional studies. We are still doing diagnostic. Uh, they might do additional studies to find if there is something else going on. They might check your stool. And when they do your stool um, studies, they are looking for bacteria, parasites, uh, presence of biosalts. That means if you have presence of biosalts, you are having um, digestive problems. Your intestine is not digesting food the way it should be digesting. So they might also do uh, stool studies for mara absorption. Um, they might also do uh, stool studies to check for food intolerances, um, and that is all done looking at your stool. More diagnostic procedures. Now we are going to more um, invasive procedures where they might do a colonoscopy. This is where they look. A colonoscopy kind of looks at the entire colon, uh, starting at your rectum. They put a flexible tube that actually looks at the whole entire colon. And your doctor will explain this to you. They might also do an upper endoscopy. This is going through your mouth. They put a little tube with a camera that goes through your mouth, through your esophagus. The esophagus is the tube that connects your mouth to your stomach. They can look at your stomach and look at your small intestine. So that is like the complete whole gamut. But they might not be able to go through the whole digestive tract. But sometimes with very sophisticated tools, they might give you a capsule, a capsule with a camera that you take and it slowly goes through the digestive tract, taking pictures, and then it comes out in your stool. So the doctor could also do that. Well, it's going through your digestive tract, it's kind of taking pictures. But for most people, they get a colonoscopy and under ed uh, upper endoscopy. So with the upper endoscopy, they could also take biopsies of your stomach. Those are little pieces of tissue for testing. Uh, that's how, if they suspect celiac disease, they, they, they recommend the you know, biopsies be taken. And actually, they will never do an upper endoscopy without, you know, checking those things out. They they take uh, tissue for biopsy, and they also check the stomach fluids. Because, I mean, once you go in, it is just good sense to kind of check those things to, to make sure that nothing is going on. Um, so treatment for IBS. Treatment for irritable bowel syndrome. The treatment kind of uh, focuses on relieving the symptoms. So once they make the diagnosis, they kind of focus on relieving the symptoms. That is the treatment of choice for this disorder. So a person can live as symptom-free as possible. So wow, all that money, all that testing, all those procedures, and there is no cure. There is absolutely no cure for this disease or disorder, according to the medical industry. But, you know, for me, because I, I dig a little bit deeper, I will tell you that there is a cure, 
but you're not gonna find it in medication it's not gonna uh, no so because the disease is epigenetic you cannot um treat an epigenetic disease with a pill it doesn't work but the medication is good because it is gonna relieve your symptoms so while you're while you're trying to understand what in the world is going on with your body so there is no cure according to the medical industry but i'm telling you that there is a cure but you have to do something different all right now some of the treatments they recommend <laughs> so i find some of the treatments quite interesting avoid food that triggers your symptoms wow all right um avoid uh do dietary elimination of all the foods that cause problems so avoid milk avoid gluten avoid some some carbohydrates like fruit sugars you know from the citrus foods i was talking about avoid certain grains avoid certain vegetables avoid dietary products i'm like oh my gosh so if you avoid all these things yes you will feel better but you still never dealt with a problem. And that's that's the issue that I have. And that's why I actually do these podcasts. Because avoiding stuff to me is not enough. So other medications that they recommend is fiber supplements like metamucil, uh, laxatives like Milalax, Sana, milk or magnesium, anti-diarrhea medication. If somebody is having, you know, bouts of diarrhea, so they take anti-diarrhea medicine like Imodium. Uh, now, if they're having severe symptoms, sometimes we might give them anti-cholinergic medications. And those drugs like Bento usually is to um, slow down the spasms because your muscles are having spasms that's what's causing the pain the contractions are really strong and they are long and that's what's causing the abdominal pain so we might give you anticholinergic medications to stop the muscle spasms so with those medications normally most people will have dry mouth drive they can cause blood vision and they can cause constipation also. So every drug we give you, you know, it has side effects. If somebody is having severe, severe symptoms, we might give them uh, tricyclic antidepressants. Because actually, your stomach is considered the second brain. So you have the brain that, you know, we treat when somebody has depression. And we can treat with, these are old drugs, the tricyclic drugs are old antidepressants so but they also work for the gut in that amazing so we can we can use that for the gut also or for the stomach um if somebody is having severe symptoms we can also give them uh, ssris these are also antidepressants they are serotonin selective serotonin leaptic inhibitors that is your Prozac, your Paxo. They do help because, like I said before, the digestive tract is your second brain. Um, other medications we might give is uh, pain medication like Lilica, uh, Neurontin, and those also, they are used for nerve pain. 
they help relax the smooth muscles of the digestive tract, but they can also cause sedation and obviously other side effects. So that is how we treat this disorder. But there are more sophisticated drugs that we give and um, to manage the symptoms. Still, nothing is a cure. There is about 20 different drugs. You hear me? 20 different drugs that we use to treat this disorder. Some of them I'm not even going to go over. Um, but the, 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 like, uh, some of them require like opiate receptors or they affect the opiate receptors. So they cause sedation. But your doctor can go um, over those medications with you. Just, just know that there is a little, more than 20 drugs. Um, they might also, if somebody is having like severe, severe um, constipation, they might give you amitisa or linces. So just trying to treat this issue. Uh, now with bentol, remember I said anticholinergic drugs, they kind of inhibit the spasms in your stomach. Um because irritable bowel syndrome behaves the same way as a migraine headache. Um, you know, when people get a migraine attack, a migraine attack usually attacks the brain. It's also similar to having an asthma attack. You know, your muscles, um, the smooth muscles of the, the respiratory system is constricting. Um, that causes asthma. So an asthma attack it, kind of affects the lungs. So irritable bowel syndrome is like having a migraine in your stomach. Um, sometimes the pain is really, really painful. Um, it's like having spasms. You know, you've had muscle spasms, right, on your leg. Very, very painful. It's having the same kind of pain in your stomach. So continuing with medication, the potential for future treatments. The researchers are investigating new drugs for irritable bowel syndrome. And one of the ones that is actually being considered right now, it's... Um, in, um, it's considered investigational at this time, but many people have actually been treated with this, and this is fecal microbiota transplantation. Now, I'm not even going to explain what this is because it's pretty disgusting, and you cannot pay me to take this treatment, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, there are other treatments like alternative medicines, um, alternative medicine is also considered integrative medicine, um, where they do hypnosis. And I'm only mentioning to tell you one thing, don't do it, you know, uh, alternative medicine is, or integrative medicine is not for everybody. So they do hypnosis. They also do stress reduction through yoga med meditation. Uh, don't do it. It's not for everybody. Um, and if you have any questions about that, you can always ask me. Um, causes of irritable bowel syndrome. The, now, this is what, what I like to discuss. This is why I made this podcast. I told you everything I've told you just to get to this point. What causes this disorder? So I'm going to tell you what the scientists have discovered. Um, 
they usually say that the exact cause of irritable bowel syndrome is not known. And that's why I mentioned earlier that this disease is actually epigenetic. And anytime you find the scientist not being sure what's causing it, you, you better believe that whatever is causing it is not a physical thing. So it is epigenetic. The muscle const contractions in the intestine, um, the walls of the intestine, they suspect that those muscles, because they are the smooth muscles, um, there is con con um, nervous system issues with it that is affecting those muscles. And they are right in that. Uh, the contractions are really strong and, and long, and that's what causes the digestive tract to develop the gas, uh, the brooding, the diarrhea, or the constipation. So when these, because they alternate, you know, sometimes like one week, the contractions of the muscle may be very, very severe, may be long and strong, and then somebody will have diarrhea because the food will be passed through the intestine very quickly, and you have those symptoms, pain, diarrhea, gassy, and all that. Uh, the following week, or even after you take medication, the contractions will be weaker. So at this point, the food, the passage of the food is slowed down, and somebody will have hard, dry stools. So what is that? That is constipation. So in a nutshell, uh, the causes of irritable bowel syndrome, uh, the nervous system is involved. But what activates the nervous system? Usually this goes up to the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is one of the 10 cranial nerves, and it comes out of your brain stem. But I'm going to leave it right there, and then if you want more details, you can ask me what activates the brain stem because now we are talking epigenetics and this is not an area that is commonly understood by many people. So I need to take my time to explain that and I cannot do that on this podcast. But that's one of the causes. Uh, the other causes that the scientists um, came up with is poor coordination of the signals between your brain and your digestive tract. Because like I said, the digestive tract is your second brain. And that is true. That is true. Um, there is, there is a, a, a stomach brain connection that is there. Things that are going on in the stomach can affect your brain. And things that are going on in your brain can affect your digestive tract. So that is another area they looked at. Um, they also thought that this disorder can be caused by severe infection, like infection with bacteria, but I don't think that's true. Um, there is no way a bacteria can infect you chronically for a long time because the acid in the stomach will usually kill any bacteria that's trying to infect your digestive tract. But there is something that's called bacteria overgrowth. Now, bacteria overgrowth will cause bacteria and viruses in your gut. The bacteria that live there to have an imbalance, and that's some bacteria that are supposed to stay at a certain percentage, they kind of, there is an overgrowth. So that means there is an imbalance of some sort going on. And that's actually not starting in your stomach. It kind of starts with 
your brainstem, but your brainstem is also connected to something else. And that I will reserve for later because it's not something I do on this podcast. This is Total Health Academy. I do have Total Health University, which I do a deep dive for the people who want to know the exact cause of their diseases or disorders. So uh, I think that's about it with um, the causes of um, irritable bowel syndrome. But there's two more things that I need to mention that the scientists kind of looked at. They thought that people who are exposed to stressful events, especially in their childhood, may develop um, irritable bowel syndrome. They also think, like I said about the bacteria imbalance or bacteria overgrowth, there is certain bacteria and fungi and viruses that live in our stomach. You, that is commonly called the microbiome. And when there is an imbalance in the microbiome, it can cause problems. And I do think that when it comes to irritable bowel syndrome, this is where the issue is. There is an imbalance in the bacteria or the microbes that live in our intestines. Those microbes are actually there for uh, a reason. They, They are called the good bacterias and they are there to do a job. Most of them make vitamins like B12, uh, folate, vitamin D. They also make neurochemicals, uh, serotonin, um, gastric acids. So they're there to do a job and they usually keep us healthy. But when there's an imbalance, obviously there will be problems. So research indicates that microbes in, in people they actually have seen this. Researchers have indicated this, that with people who have irritable bowel syndrome, that the microbes in their gut is different from people who don't have irritable bowel syndrome. So to conclude, I would say that if you need help with this um, disorder, if you really want to know what the cause is, and you're strong enough to be able to handle the bad news because you will never appreciate the good news if you don't handle the bad news well. So the bad news is to tell you what the real cause is, but then the good news is how to fix that because everything is fixable. So if you're interested in that, you can get a hold of me. Just to sum it up, I would say that irritable bowel syndrome, according to medical science, it doesn't have a cure, but they help people to manage their symptoms. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather be cured than be managed. That's how I feel. And that's why I do these podcasts. I would rather be cured than take medications for the rest of my life to manage this disorder. So, hence, some of the things that they came up with was that um, there is a heightened sensitivity when it comes to your uh, uh, digestive tract. So, heightened sensitivity. Where is this coming from? Also, the way they named this disorder, irritable bowel syndrome, they found out that your digestive tract is it gets irritated by 
by small things like gas bubbles that normally will not bother many people. But when you have fat, it kind of irritates your digestive tract. So what is causing that? Um, like I said before, this disease is epigenetic and that's what I'm going to leave you with. And I would say that if you're interested in getting more information, you get in touch with me and we'll be able to talk about what's really going on in your life. Why you have irritable bowel syndrome, which is a functional disease. There is nothing wrong with your digestive tract and that's a good thing. That is actually a very, very good thing. But it's not functioning properly. So we need to know why it's not functioning properly. So it is a disorder and anything that is a disorder can be put back in order. So that is the good news that I'm going to leave you with. And I say may God bless you. But if you want to get a hold of me, you can actually find me on Facebook. I talk about health mostly, diseases, disorders, all things total health. That's what I talk about. This podcast will be posted over there. So it's easy to get a hold of me on Facebook. Uh, Just inbox me and I'll be able to get back with you. I check my Facebook at least once a day. If you don't want to do that, uh, you can email me at totalhealthglobal1962 at gmail.com. Totalhealthglobal1962 at gmail.com. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not very good at checking my email. I check it at least once a week. But if you email me, I might have a chance to look at it and see your email and I'll be able to respond. If you're hearing about this podcast on WhatsApp, you probably already have my number. Feel free to inbox me and we can take it from there. So I will say once again, this is a disorder. Irritable bowel syndrome is a functional disorder. So there's nothing physically wrong. It's just that your digestive tract is not functioning properly and that can be fixed. So with that, I would say, may God bless you. I hope I have said something that is helpful in your condition. I hope I've said something that can give you hope. And that is that. All right. God bless you.